Hey friends, welcome back to With a Splash of Jesus. I'm your host, Jordan. We are back for another great conversation. This week, we have Brenda Troyer. Brenda is an entrepreneur, leader at Restore Church, wife, mother of two, and nanny to four little grands. She's purposeful to value, accept, and love people right where they are, empowering them to be the best version of themselves. She aims to model honesty, simplicity, and authenticity that inspires people to live fully present and spirit-led lives so that they can live into who God created them to be. She also values bringing new and fresh perspective to the Word of God especially, but also to systems and organizations. Brenda has been mentoring me over the last couple months, and I am just so excited for this week's conversation, you guys. She is a powerhouse. Here's this week's conversation with Brenda Troyer. All right, friends, like I said, we are here with Brenda Troyer, and I am so excited for this week's conversation. I think you guys are going to love it. Let's get started. What are you currently reading in the Bible? I don't have like a particular passage. We're in the middle of teaching Philippians on Sunday morning. So I just got done kind of in Philippians 2, but I don't have like any like specific passage. Sometimes I do. Right now I'm not. I'm just kind of all over. Yeah. What's God mm-hmm. teaching you in your all over? In my all over. <laughs> well, currently, and part of it has to do with our conversation today. It's been about this diving in a little bit deeper into the whole, who am I as a woman of God and kind of digging down deep into the words of Paul specifically. I know I mentioned this when I taught a couple of weeks ago that I have this love-hate relationship with him and not so much, I guess, because of his teaching, but the way it's been interpreted. So kind of digging in and finding out what was the why behind the what he was saying. What's currently on your nightstand? Like what books are you currently reading? Currently, I am trying to get through Brian Zahn's Sinners in the Hand of a Loving God. And uh, Gene and I have been watching a six-week series where he would get on, he would talk about it, and then there was kind of Q&A at the end. So that's kind of in the middle of me trying to get through the book. There's that. I also have The God-Shaped Brain. So I don't remember the author of that, but just this fascination that I have between that connection of brain and heart. So I have probably 10 books that I've started. Sounds like me. I couldn't even imagine like if I was asked this question, like what books are on my nightstand? Because I use my Kindle. I have started like six books and I just kind of like rotate through each one of them depending on what I'm feeling. So I'm like, I don't think I could remember them all. (laughs) So what is something you are so passionate about? You can't stop talking about it. I would say I'm very passionate about identity, about people knowing and understanding their identity, which then also affects their impact and influence. So as we know who we are, we can impact others for the kingdom. That might be the quickest, shortest little (laughs) synopsis I can give you. I'm sure that'll come up more in our conversation because you and I talk about it all the time. (laughs) Let's get started talking about biblical womanhood. Can you tell us your story about finding your identity in Jesus and what that's looked like for you? That has been quite a process. I think I would say it started back when I kind of got to grips with abuse in my past. And I think up till that point, even without me knowing it, I had identified a certain way and it limited me for sure. So as I worked through all of that, through a lot of counseling. I think that's kind of where my identity started, like where I started kind of understanding that I wasn't broken, that I wasn't, you know, all those lies that we believe. Mm -hmm. 
So there's been that journey of that healing. And then part of what we're talking about today, just this whole thing of how I was raised and how women were viewed and what I believed to be true, like they didn't reconcile. And so then it's just been this process of over the years, just kind of leaning into who God says I am, but it wasn't a quick and easy thing. It's been a process, been a lot of voices, been a lot of reading, a lot of outside voices that have helped me to just kind of understand God's intention, God's view of me, and then believing that over the lies that still run through my brain about who I am. For our listeners that don't know, if you're Mm -hmm. comfortable, can you tell us where you came from? So I was raised in a conservative Mennonite church. So I grew up wearing a covering, a dress, and actually in the church I went to, the dresses had to be completely plain. So I couldn't eat. There were no prints or anything. Had to be a certain length. I couldn't wear makeup, jewelry, never cut my hair. So very, very conservative. My dad was raised Amish, so Mm. it was... Was a little progressive from there, but felt very similar. I feel like everyone has their own definition of what biblical womanhood means. What's yours? Oh, that feels like a loaded question. Because I, oof. Uh, the first, the verse that comes to mind is Proverbs thirty-one, and I think it is abused. If I can be that frank, because I think we can look at like, okay, this is the perfect woman. Let me read you. And it's actually in the Hebrew. It's like, there's a thing for every letter, you know, in that passage. And it's like, we look at, I, okay, I look at that and I'm like, that's unattainable. But if we can look at that through the view of that is what is in each one of us as we live out this way of love, that is Jesus then yeah, we can do these things. We are those things. And I think instead of saying it coming from a condemning space to be like, no, this isn't all of us, but then also to look at Proverbs 31 as an allegory that this person that's described is also the bride of Christ. And so when we talk about womanhood, I don't know, I wrestle with that a little bit, Jordan, because I think we're all made in the image of God. And so man woman, like, do we separate it too much? You know, do we, do we focus too much on gender? I think God made us specifically like male and female different. And like the combination of all our gifts and our talents and our natural characteristics create the perfect picture of Jesus. But I'm not a feminist. Okay. I want to make that very clear. I am not a woman's liver. I am not a women's rights kind of person. I am for women 100% because of, I think, the way that we've been oppressed since the beginning of time, since the fall. So go back to what, what I was saying. God has, I think he has put in us as women, different characteristics, different, I think of the thing like nurturing. We tend, and not to say that no men are, right? But like we as women, we're, we tend to be more nurturing. Actually, wisdom in the Bible is referred to in, in the feminine. And just some of those things where I think there are, we have tendencies that are different, but I, but I wish we could get rid of the gender stuff because I think it puts us in boxes. And I think a lot of the ways, I was just actually thinking about that this morning on the way to work, like a lot of the things that we, okay, the guys go work, the women stay home with the kids, the guys, you know, do this, the women do this. And I think how much of that has just been a cultural thing that's been decided by, I don't know who over the years. Yes. Men are 
are stronger, physically stronger. It does not mean that we are weak. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just think there's this, I think we can get tripped up on that. And I don't even know if I answered your question. My view on womanhood. I think, again, maybe, and this is where I got sidetracked with the whole thing of the gender thing. I think that me as a woman chasing hard after the heart of God, as I walk out the fruit of the spirit that is in me, that should be biblical womanhood without any of the jobs and the roles and the expectations. Well, and we can touch more on Proverbs 31 like later on, but I think for me, I've always looked at Proverbs 31 as like attributes that God has given us to attain, not a checklist that we need to achieve. Like we don't need to be every single one of those items, but we can aim to be some of those. So I think that's just, that's where I stand with it. Yeah. And I, and I think too, it's, it's this beautiful picture, but I think too often women look at that and they're like, Oh, I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Just be kind of cringy. (laughs) It's very cringy. Just be you. God has created and designed you for a very specific, perfect purpose. And you may or may not sell things, mm-hmm. you know, to you may raise or may money not for stay home. You may or may not. And so to not get too caught up in all of those, like, like you said, kind of like this checklist of like, oh crap, forget it. I'm, I'm never going to be that. Yeah. Cause I think in our culture with that, it's an all or nothing perspective. If I'm not all of them, I'm none of them. And that's not the point. God doesn't want it to be, I mean, yes, he does want us like all or nothing. He doesn't want lukewarm, but in that perspective, he wants He wants us to embrace who he made us to be, not a checklist of what the culture has made us to be. Who is your favorite woman in the Bible and why? I would say, I don't know, Esther has always stuck out to me, just the strength that she had. But then I'm also like the mother of Jesus. I'm like, what? Like, if I could have, like, I want that kind of faith. I really do. And, and, and then even throughout Jesus' life, the way that she just continued to point him like on his path to remind him who he what is. was coming. Absolutely. So it's no secret that you are heavily involved in the decision-making at Restore Church and you regularly speak from stage, which I absolutely love. People will take scripture and they'll twist them saying that women don't have a voice that <laughs> women can't preach, etc. Can you please shed some light on this and tell us why you think women play such an important role in the church? Well, as I think I mentioned earlier, like God gifted male and female differently, some the same, some different. But I think it's so important to get that perspective. Like if we just get the male's perspective, we're going to lose, we're going to miss out on a lot. And this is what I was referring to earlier. Where Paul kind of, I, I'll back up, where people use the words of Paul to silence us. And so I have big problems with that, big problems with that. So what do you, why is it important for women to have a voice other than the perspective that like we can give? Because we do have a different way of looking at things, but what do you feel like you have to offer from stage? God has gifted us all in certain ways. Not everyone is gifted to teach or preach, whatever you call it. I feel like I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. If we're, if we're going to like parse this out, my style is more, more teacher. Not everybody is gifted with that. Not everybody is gifted with hospitality. Not everybody's gifted with the prophetic voice. You know, there's all these different ways that we're gifted. And if 
if somebody wants to use those two passages in the Bible to keep me quiet, that is going above what God has said and what God has put in me. And so what do I have to offer? I'm just using, I'm using my gift. So it would be like somebody that can sing, that can really usher in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, but they're told, sorry, you can't because of whatever reason. So somehow there's a difference between singing and teaching in in that, in the way that the gifts are used. I loved how you used teacher too, because it automatically made me think of the way that Jesus led and he walked alongside. He didn't just stand up in front of people and tell them what to do. He came down next to them and he walked alongside them. And you do that so well. Well, I tell you what, I learn so much every time I'm preparing to teach something. And so I always think, I mean, like, this is a gift for me, right? Because yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, because I always like to to try to dig in and find a different perspective or maybe a new way of seeing something or a new way of seeing a truth, whether it's controversial or not. But just that affords me the opportunity to grow as well. So I definitely don't feel like I have so much knowledge to share with everybody. And I think that's a misconception for a lot of teachers <laughs> or professors or whoever. Like I feel like a lot of people say, oh, they just know so much more than us, but it's not always the case. Well, it is not with me. I, I definitely feel like I feel like I'm going to continue learning and growing until I die. Yeah. And I like it that way. I love that. <laughs> so you have a daughter, mm-hmm. a daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. and two granddaughters. Three now. Three granddaughters. Yes. Oh, that's yes. so exciting. Just, I forgot. Yeah, just four weeks ago. Oh, yep. What do you hope that they learn from you as a woman of God? Like when you are gone and they just have your legacy, what is something that you hope they've learned from you? I hope that they know who they are. Like there's no question about, yeah, that comes back to identity, right? Like there's no question about, about who they are in Christ and that they, that they know how they're gifted in the ways that they're gifted and the way that God wants to use them and that they're empowered, that they're empowered to step in the places that, that they need to step into, that they're not held back by the fact that they're females. And obviously that's not something I can have a lot of a control over, but hopefully I can show them how to be a confident woman in the culture that we're in. I have goosebumps. <laughs> so modesty can be a huge topic inside and outside of the church. What women can and cannot wear, what's appropriate, why they should dress modestly, all of that. I think you do a phenomenal job of dressing modestly while also dressing very stylish. So when you're out shopping, what do you look for when you're buying new clothes? And what are like some rules that you follow? Follow. I use that very loosely or rules. I should say I use loosely when you are like looking for clothes that you could give our listeners. I suppose I think about it from the perspective of what a male would see in what I'm wearing or not wearing, (laughs) as is sometimes the case. I I think this kind of came to light when Morgan, um, our daughter, was younger, and she was starting to dress as everyone was dressing. And I'd be kind of like, is that kind of short? Or, you know, it was back in the days, I can't remember the shorts, what they were called, but they were pretty short, kind of cottony, and then they'd roll down the band. Oh, like the Sophie shorts. Yes. (laughs) And I'd be like, unroll that. (laughs) And then we got to the place where I'd be like, okay, go ask your dad. Go ask your dad what he would say. 
And he became kind of our guide Mm -hmm. because he would see even some of the stuff that I'd be okay with. He would be kind of like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So it's helpful to have that, that male perspective. And I feel like I'm going to sound really old when I say this, but like we're responsible for what we're putting out there. And I think there's one way to dress for my husband and there's a totally another way to dress for everyone else. And that just means things need to be covered. And I think sometimes as women, I don't think women always understand how like guys are tend to be more visual. Right. And so we don't think about it. We're like, oh, this is comfortable. Like what? What's wrong with this? So always kind of from that perspective of, I never want to, yes, guys are responsible for what they're thinking and all that. I'm not taking the responsibility away from that, but I also have this responsibility to not make somebody stumble. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to do. I think that's the most mature response I've ever heard when it comes to that, because we all are responsible for our own selves. I'm not responsible for my husband, you know, looking at another woman or whatever, but I am responsible to make sure that I don't expose myself in a way that another man would look at me in that way. So I think that's, I I love that. (laughs) When you become married... You take on an identity as a wife, but that's not your full identity. So when you became married, how did you navigate coming under the headship of Jean while remaining true to your identity in Christ? Oh, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. That has been a journey. Because again, what was modeled to me growing up was, you know, dad was up here, then mom was under, and then we were under. And it was it was walked out that way in a lot of areas. So that's what I did because I'm going to be a good little wife. And I did all the things. Then we had kids. And then I completely lost myself as a mom. And submission was always hard for me. And I think because I saw how that was wielded and how that was like held over women how it kind of put them in a box and almost quieted them, silenced them. And so, I mean, I, I tried to do that, but there was something in my spirit that was just not, just like the same thing with a covering and a haircut and all that stuff. I was like, this is not, this is not sitting well in my spirit because it just doesn't feel right. And so that was definitely a process as well of like, coming to this new understanding of what that headship looked like, what, what it really was to be a team and to be, to both of us be leading. And again, kind of in different capacities, we did it differently, but getting to that place then of mutual submission. And yes, I would still say Jean is the, the leader in our home, but it doesn't mean that I don't lead. And for example, I do our finances. There's no interest in that whatsoever. And some guys would be like, oh, what? You're not, you know, you don't have control over that. I do our finances too, so I understand. But longer ago, that wouldn't have been okay, right? It's like the, the guy, you know, he's the head. And so, you know, you stay in your space. But I think, you know, over the years, that process of understanding mutual submission and literally just respecting each other for the roles that we play 
he's stronger and better equipped gifting wise in some areas and in other areas I am. And so like learning that, like, we don't have to be threatened by each other's gifts. And it doesn't mean that I'm less or he's less than or anything like that. So the whole headship thing, again, I think is just this idea of order and, and the natural giftings of leading, but not, I do, I think I would want to add, but not one over the other. Like, is this, I, there's this picture of like hand in hand, we're going to, we're doing this together. I read somewhere that, that said like the man may be the head, but the woman's the neck and she'll direct him in the way that he needs to go. And I was like, yeah, because they're vital to each other. Like you need your neck to have a direction. Otherwise you're just up here and everyone else is down here. Yeah. And it's kind of like that picture of the body, right? Being representative of the body of Christ. Like there's many parts and we all need each other. So do you have any advice from your journey (laughs) of submission for listeners who might be struggling with that? Like if they're struggling to understand how to submit to their husband or how to be a teammate with their husband. I mean, some people just struggle when they become married in general, learning to undo some of that independence. See, there's a lot of unlearning, isn't there? When we have to give up our independence and I mean, I say have to, it's what happens when we get married. We, we, it's a choice. (laughs) Yes. It's a choice. I don't think we know how hard it is until we've actually committed though. So not to understate this, but like communication and there has to be, so there has to be this communication. There has to be respect or it, or it won't have, it won't work because if one person is not submitting to the other, I don't know. It just doesn't work. And like I said, it needs to be mutual because if it's just that the woman, if we take that scripture out of context and we say the women have to, you know, submit to their men, but the men aren't submitting to the women, then it becomes like lorded over. And then it becomes a, it's off balance. And I don't believe like the design of Christ. So, so what do I say to them? I don't get counseling. (laughs) I don't know because there has to become this awareness. And again, I think a lot of men and women play the roles they do as husband and wives because that's what's been shown to them and that's what they know. So that's where the unlearning comes in that we were just talking about. Like, And I feel like I had to do a lot of unlearning and then being comfortable with who I am, who God has created me to be and not in a way that I am superior, but that I'm confident. And then whatever Gene does, it won't rattle me or else we'll talk about it. We'll say, hey, this kind of felt like this. Is that what you meant? You know, kind of thing where it can feel like, and we joke about it. We joke about submission because he knows how that pushes my buttons. And again, I, I, I feel like there is, it's a, it's a mutual thing. And it's actually like, I wrote down a scripture, Jesus commandment. And this was, he says, this is a new command I give you. And it's in John 13. He says, love each other just as much as I have loved you. And that's kind of the bottom line. If we can love each other the way Christ loves us, there's mutual submission, there's respect, there's honor both ways. So what happens when your husband's decision doesn't line up with scripture? Are we as wives allowed to challenge him? I don't know that I can point you to a scripture, but my opinion is yes. I mean, I think God makes it very clear in scripture that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And 
Christ embodies the scripture. So if like the husband isn't following the scripture, then he's not loving his wife as Christ loves the church. And I think that just for me, at least, that is where it comes down to is if what my husband, not saying my husband would, but if something my husband did did not line up with scripture, then I have every right as a wife to say, "Mm, I don't think so. I think too, then that comes back to, it might not be received as respect, but as you approach him with respect and honor and not come at him, you know, hopefully he would be able to hear your heart. Again, that's out of your control, right? That's out of a woman's control at that point. But I do believe, I actually believe it's our responsibility to bring up like, Hey, I'm not, can we talk about this? You know, I'm not sure that this is like, how to, how, you know, ask a lot of questions like how, like, how did you arrive at this decision or whatever the situation is? Can you show me like maybe in scripture, like, can you show me, can you help me understand? And I think in that way, we're coming in humility because again, that's, that's the way we are taught to, that's the way Jesus shows us is to be in humility. He doesn't lord it over everyone. It's like you mentioned earlier, it's like he literally comes to your level. You know, see him kneeling, you see him sitting at the well, writing in the sand. And that's humility is key for sure. So we touched on Proverbs 31 and how it lays out this model, we'll say, for a, you know, a noble, a wife of noble character. So we touched on this a little bit, but how can we as women model this in the 21st century? I think as we walk out love as we walk out the fruit of the spirit that is in us. That's it. And that may seem like really oversimplified, but as I live in this way of love, as I am doing the work that God has gifted me to do, as I am raising my family, as I'm interacting with people in the world, as I am responsible with my finances, as I'm responsible with my time, those are all ways that we are this. I don't think any of us should ever look at Proverbs 31 and say, okay, what else do I need to work on? Like, what else am I not getting? Not having it as a checklist. (laughs) Not having it as a checklist because it is, again, too often it's this thing of like, here's, here's all the ways that you should be instead of saying, no, this is who you are as the bride of Christ. This is who you are as a woman. And just understanding like that's in us. Do we get it right all the time? No, but we don't get anything right all the time. And so to not get tripped up in the thinking of like, I can never be because we already are. We already are. And I think so often people think of Proverbs 31 as this like, you have to be a homemaker. You have to have this big garden. Everything has to come from your home. Which would kill me. It would literally kill me. I could not be a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) But yeah, like there's a perspective of like, you know, you have to just run this household in this specific way. But scripture doesn't even say that. Like nowhere in Proverbs 31 does it say you are to have a garden and, you know, (laughs) not grocery shop and- Make your own clothes. Make your own clothes. And yeah, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that you can't have- you know, a beautiful home. When looking at your journey through being a woman of God, what advice would you give your younger self? What advice would I give my younger self? 
I would, I would encourage my younger self to find a mentor or somebody that could speak truth into my life at a younger age. I didn't have a lot of that. So we went from like the church that I grew up in to a less conservative church, but there was still all that, that, uh, women had a place and it was very specific and it felt very, felt very condescending. And I didn't really have anybody to show me another way. So it's been a lot of years of just trying to figure it out on my own. So that's what I would like. I'm saying that to my younger self. So I'm saying that to all you younger people too, like find somebody that can. And again, this is not to make us superior. This is to help us understand how Christ sees us and not, not what the Jews got from Greek tradition, the mythology, you know, back in the day where women were literally scum, but like, what did Jesus say? And Jesus over and over and over again in scripture sees women, like he sees them where they are. So find somebody that can, somebody that can help you like walk through that before you're Old. Just like figure it out sooner. Figure it Sorry, out. Sorry, I thought I wasn't allowed to call you old. You're not? Well, I am old. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Just perspective. <laughs> so do you have any books, resources, Instagram accounts, <laughs> whatever that you look to or have found helpful in the past that are related to biblical womanhood or how you have gotten to the journey that you are at today? The one I can look it up real quick. The one that I am currently using is called crosswalk.com. It just gives this perspective of what is behind the words of Paul and why was he telling the women to be silent and kind of understanding that has been mind bending and super helpful for me. Um, so I just kind of go often I'll Google. I know you're not supposed to like Google a whole lot of things. Maybe that's just for kids. I don't know. Maybe it's just for young moms. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Don't Google the medical, whatever, right over here, but just the things that have helped me in. And and again, those two specific scriptures that are used to beat women over the head in first Timothy and first Corinthians to understand what's behind there. I've dug into like a lot of resources. There's also a scripture in first Corinthians 11 and I use the mirror Bible. I don't know if you ever heard about that. It's only new Testament. It's not actually even the entire new Testament, but when it comes to first Corinthians 11 and verses three to 17, he skips that entirely. And he says, since they are certainly not in the context of the gospel that Paul preached. So that's a reference. The mirror Bible is a reference I use a lot. And I use the Passion Translation and then all the footnotes that come with it. But I thought that was interesting how, you know, some people are like that translation takes out that scripture completely. Would you want to walk us through your journey and discovering what exactly Paul's reasoning was behind what you've read? So the research that I've done, there's a couple of scriptures, so I mentioned them. But I think, and I think the reason that it, that it caused a stir in my spirit is it's, there's such contradiction. And even from like one part of the passage to the next, but specifically thinking here where 
Well, let's see, 1 Corinthians, where he says the women should be respectfully silent during the evaluation of prophecy in the meetings. Again, this is a passion translation, so it might not be quite so familiar. They are not allowed to interrupt, but are to be a support role, as in fact the law teaches. If they want to inquire, they should ask their husbands about it. And then in Timothy, the conduct of women is that they would pray with clean hearts, dress appropriately, modestly, not flaunting. And it goes on there. I think the thing that I've discovered that has been the most mind-bending and freeing in all of that is that in the culture of the New Testament, or Old Testament specifically, the Jewish law came from Greek culture. And again, I mentioned earlier, like the women were like worse than slaves. And so these traditions were man-made and it wasn't, it wasn't God's words. It was man's words. So women in the day, you know, going by, by Jewish law, and they were not allowed to learn. So if you can't learn, you probably can't teach. You probably shouldn't, right? <laughs> right. But then Christ came. And so now we have this new, right? This new law, which was two laws, love God, love others. But, but now we have this new thing and women are able to learn. They're not able to, to learn these things that they're being, that they were never allowed to learn before. They're able to be in the assembly with all the men instead of, you know, relegated to the back. And so now they're in these, in these gatherings. And I think then it's probably in uh, first Corinthians 11, but now they have all these questions, right? So they're sitting there. And so when Paul's saying the women should be silent, I believe what he's meaning is that not silence, but this, this thing of like, I, I mean, I can only imagine if this was me. And all of a sudden now I had the opportunity to learn about all of these things. I would have a lot of questions. So these women were having all these questions and it became disorderly in their church services. So Paul's simply saying, listen, just wait till you get home and your husband can help you learn. He's not saying you can't talk in church or that you should be silent, but let's keep church service orderly and talk to your husband about this at home. I'm sure he can answer your questions because he's already learned and he's been taught. So I think that one is how that is completely taken out out of context. But what is interesting, like I said, First Timothy 2 to 3 is, is full of contradictions. But then I want to say to somebody who says I need to be silent in church, I want to ask them about First Timothy 3.11 that says, and the women who also serve the church should be dignified. Okay, so to me that says the women are serving in church. So there's one contribution or uh, contradiction. There's another one in 1 Corinthians 11, 5. 11, 5 says, And if any woman in a place of leadership within the church prays or prophesies with her long hair disheveled. So this is the whole part about having your head covered and all that. And again, the context behind that is there is this goddess Diana. Think promiscuous, provocative, all of that. And so like if your long hair should be braided, like you should just look orderly. And again, I think that's just a good representation of the gospel. But the key part here is that again, assuming, because it says if a woman in a place of leadership, so we've gone from saying you shouldn't to like, well, okay, but if you are, and even in earlier in that scripture, it's saying it's giving the, the format for how men and women should pray and prophesy. So it's not saying, again, contradiction. He's saying women should be silent, but but women, when you pray and prophesy, this is, you know, how you should be. And to also keep in context that back in the day, the church 
it was only praying and prophesying. There was no kids ministry. There was no worship team. You know, it was praying and prophesying is what they did. So the women were involved. And then can we talk about Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell on all of them. They were all speaking in tongues, not just the men. Well, and I think when you look at like when scripture talks about the gifts, he doesn't just say the gifts have been given to the men. No. And that is the thing that I always like to find too, like the words of Jesus, right? And he's not gender specific. He doesn't talk about gender or race or even like religious affiliation, right? It's all we are neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, you know, it goes right slave or free. Like we're all, he's leveled the playing, the playing field. And I think the words of Paul, I think we're more about let's be orderly. Let's be a, a, a palatable representation of Jesus and this gospel message. So let's not look like the prostitutes in the day, like do something nice with your hair, you know, put it back. It means like, because here's another inconsistency. It, it talks about like, you know, not braiding your hair and wearing gold and all of that. I'm like, we wear gold, we wear jewelry all day, every day, but nothing is said about what that. What if your wedding ring is gold? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So again, so many inconsistencies that just have made me just, I think, consider that there's a lot of inconsistencies in scripture, but God is not. And God made the gospel really quite simple. And so when we try to put all these kinds of rules and laws and stuff into place, like I can understand why Paul was talking to the church. You know, the there was a whole, you know, group of these, these, uh, these women under the direction of the goddess of Diana who were like, yeah, we're not living right. And so he's saying, let's not, let's not do that. Like I could, I could see Paul saying, listen, if you're going to carry this gospel message to people and you're going to pray and prophesy, then don't look like a prostitute. Look orderly like look Jesus did. Look orderly like Jesus. Don't like take away those distractions. And I think that's the thing that we're responsible for. And that comes back to your question about like dressing modestly. Like what about the way you're dressing is a distraction to someone who you might be able to share the gospel with? You know, if you're not covered appropriately, there will be distractions. And I think that's kind of where Paul's coming at from this point, not saying women need to be silent because he's acknowledging that they will be praying and prophesying, but here's the order. And I think God is a God of order. Do you have anything else that you want to say that we haven't covered before we close out? Cause we're kind of wrapping up here. <laughs> I would want women to understand that they don't need to put men down in order to be strong women. Does that make sense? So like you can be exactly who God created you to be and still be respectful and honor if you're married, honor your husband, honor your father, whatever that looks like. But it doesn't mean that you need to, in order to get to that, to, to be perceived as strong, if that's what you want. I don't know. I think some people want to be perceived as strong. I think we just need to be perceived as who God created us to be. And they will sense the strength, but again, not the strength that is ours, but the strength that comes through the wisdom, the discernment, the love, the fruit of the spirit in us. It goes back to that being rooted in your identity in Christ. Yeah. They'll see you modeling Jesus. And you don't need to push anybody else away or put anybody else down to do that. Let's have a little fun. Uh oh. <laughs> so we do rapid fire questions at the end. So I'm terrible at these. Okay. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. I promise there's no right answer. Okay. What is your go to coffee order? Oh, oat milk latte with honey. 
Oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to add that to my list. Mm-hmm. What's the last thing you watched on TV? Oh, I just finished The Empress. I'm kind of a sucker for a thing like The Crown, like those kinds of series. But I'm telling you what, Netflix, oof, I wouldn't want my kids watching it, put it that way. So parts of it are like, I would have a hard time telling you to watch it. Mm. Okay, it's fair. But that was, oh, maybe yesterday it was Thomas the t- Thomas and Friends with Ophie. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a little her, more That's lighthearted. <laughs> That's her favorite. So we watched Thomas and Friends. <laughs> if someone wrote a book about your life, what would the title be? Oh, I just told, that's funny. I just told Jean the other day, I think the book that I'm going to write is going to be called Expectations and Other Four-Letter Words. I can see it. Can't wait to read it. I expect a like free copy. Okay. All right. I will have you look at it. Yes. If our guests want to follow you, where can they find you? Instagram, Facebook, just my name. Well, Brenda, it's been a pleasure having you. It has been so much fun. I appreciate you so much and all that you and Jean pour into our lives. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me for sure. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Our podcasts are edited by Nick Berkey. If you have a story you want to share, please reach out through the forum on Instagram. I pray that you can take action this week and make a splash. 